Okay. Today, um, in kind of getting to the end of this talk on dukkha, <clears throat> stress, distress, unsatisfactoriness, sometimes translated as suffering also, um, I talked about last week something called upadana skanda. Upadana being uh, clinging, skanda being one of the five constituents of the sense of self. And the basic idea <clears throat> from Gautama is that uh, the, the fashioned, concocted, fermented, uh, composite sense of self we have, which is totally normal, sometimes called ego, is one of the ultimate sources of suffering, or dukkha. And, you know, it was said in that page uh, on dukkha, uh, Gautama had said something like, you know, in short, um, the cause of dukkha is upadana skanda. And I'll send a page on Wikipedia on upadana. And that's where I'd like to focus today. This is um, kind of uh, a focused analysis of some core Buddhist philosophy regarding the way by which rebirth occurs, the psychological process by which we get stuck, the psycho-metaphysical, psychological and metaphysical basis of stress or suffering itself, the um, basis of what Ra would call distortion, and uh, what particularly sets apart Buddhism from Hinduism, or every other single, every other religion, so-called, or philosophy, which is Gautama's teaching on uh, clinging to false views of self, and so clinging being Ubadana. So first, Gautama basically said, you know, in short, Upadana Skanda, or the clinging aggregates, or the fact that we have these aggregates, right, form or body, feeling or sensation in the body, perception, which is five physical senses, uh, as well as the mental sense, the fourth Skanda then being Samkara, Sankara, Samskara, Sankara, being basically mental conceiving, mental fashioning, mental fabrications, composites, are our conceptual overlay of everything, which includes uh, the sense of self. And then, but some samskara, samkara is a very big word, and that it can also be seen as a root cause of, of suffering or stress or rebirth. And the fifth uh, skanda is consciousness. So those five constituents or heaps, the skandas or kandas, called clinging aggregates or heap. Upadana Skanda, Upadana Kanda, this is Pali and Sanskrit, giving rise to the sense of self or the constituents, the basis of the sense of self, right? I'm this body with sensations and I'm this mind with a body and I'm awareness with this mind and a body. That I, I, Ahamkara, which is, I think, very much, um, uh, it's primarily subconscious even. We have our consciously formulated sense of self, but um, the conscious formulation, I am Scott, I'm a guy, I'm this, I'm that, I'm not that, I'm this, uh, I like this, I hate that. Uh, positive self, you know, healthy self-esteem, inflated self-esteem, deflated self-esteem, erased self-esteem, like Karen Horney went through the types of distorted self-esteem, self-image, basically. Uh, associated with the imprinted pain in the other series, from pain to release. So all those, the, the variations in the self-image, uh, variations on the same theme of um, belief in self, ahamkara. In the, you know, Ramana Maharshi's main teaching is to help us deconstruct ahamkara by a kind of intellectual meditative practice. And Gautama's teaching on the nature of, of self is particularly what sets apart Hinduism from Buddhism. And that's where I want to kind of get deeper into today, taking a launch from the Wikipedia page on Upadana 
and some other uh, suttas discussing Upadana that I want to breeze through quickly. <laughs> this is advanced material. So the first is actually before the Wikipedia page, a page, Access to Insight, Tanisaro Bhikkhu's translation, Upadana Sutta, meaning the sutra or doc, you know, text teaching on Upadana. This is from uh, Samutta Nikaya 22, and there are a couple of suttas that are called Upadana Skanda, Upadana Sutta, meaning the sutra, the teaching about uh, clinging. And Upadana is not the same as craving. And so there's clinging and there's craving, and that's a little distinction. <clears throat> but <clears throat> you can say craving is the problem, you can say clinging is the problem. There can be craving without clinging, meaning I'm hungering, but I'm not going to make attachment. So <clears throat> this, this is the fine points of Buddhist philosophy and often you know, discussed in Abhidhamma. But uh, that, you know, it, it all can be understood in a very practical way because that's my my concern is practical, not just uh, some kind of theory that's irrelevant to my moment-to-moment -moment experience, but theory that's uh, made relevant, relevantized, <laughs> relativized, or uh, focused on uh, how it can be applied and understood or make my current life better, right? Path-oriented teaching, not not just theory. And and so that distinction between craving and clinging, which is tana and ubadana, which I've talked about before, craving in Buddhism is tanha or thirst or hunger, ubadana is clinging. So from craving to clinging, it is certainly possible to feel craving without acting upon it, which it means it's certainly possible to know this is what's done in med meditation, Buddhist meditation, right? I want this, I want that. And the mind, uh, if we're trained in mindfulness pretty well, we can say, okay, I want this and I want that. The desire or aversion arises in mind, uh, and I'm going to go back to the breath. <laughs> and the result of that is some kind of weakening of the roots of attachment, <clears throat> weakening of both clinging and craving by not clinging when hungering thirst arises. And that can go to so suppression, um, but not necessarily. There are certain desires that one could restrain because one knows they're harmful. That's not suppression. That's called, you know, conscientiousness. Likewise, uh, there's a time when I'll desire and let myself get it and go go for it. And um, other times I may want to just let it arise and pass away because I feel I have something better to do, like I want to stay watching the breath and meditation. So <clears throat> this second sutta, or this first sutta on Upadana, and there's another one we can look into, from Samudha Nikaya 22.121. I just want to breeze through quickly. Uh, at Savati or Saviti, this is the text, the Blessed One, there the Blessed One said, Monks, I will teach you a clingable phenomena and clinging. And so this is uh, this is not any anything new. <laughs> this is basically saying, is, is understanding that skanda arupadana, or the constituents of the sense of self, um, have they make a sense of self by our clinging to them. Monks, I will teach you a cling. I will teach you about clingable phenomena and clinging. Listen and pay close attention. I will speak, as you say, Lord Bante. The monks responded. The blessed one said, "And what monks are clingable phenomena? What is clinging?" And then he just goes through the list of the skandhas. Form is a clingable phenomenon, meaning something that we can cling to. Any desire, passion relating to it is clinging related to it. Okay, so clinging is all associated with the five skandhas. Form, feeling, perception, fabrications, meaning samskara, consciousness, these are clingable phenomena. Clingable meaning one can, they're able to be clung to meaning one may generate desire passion, particularly uh, d grasping an aversion. You know, desire passion is in the case of holding onto it, like clinging. But you could also say that aversion is a form of clinging, or aversion, hating, is a form of attachment. So there's the attachment of uh, desire, and there's the attachment of hate. 
they're both form they're both desires or they're both i would say you know a more subtle understanding of the word clinging so the three poisons grasping aversion ignorance wanting to keep it and get it and hold it and never lose it grasping wanting to get it away or keep it away or reject it or kill it is aversion ignorance is i don't know just round and round in the fog <clears throat> these uh, three poisons you can say are all forms of can't you know in an expanded understanding of clinging it's a distorted uh, attaching to phenomena and so what what is clinging all about well it's about these constituents of the sense of self right body mind <laughs> the feelings in body the thoughts in mind the ability to have an experience of body and mind perception the ability to have an experience of mind and the whole situation being consciousness Okay, fine. So, <clears throat> these are called clinging phenomena. This is clinging, and that's why they're called Upadhanaskanda. And so, going to the page, that's not anything big, but if you break it down to understand what's clinging all about, it's very much about uh, all that we're experiencing, that we have all these ideas about what we love and hate, what we want and don't want, um that get us by, bound to life and you know ross said all you know desires uh, desire is acceptable or, or no desire needs to be overcome and all desire is proper you know is right for the entity at the proper time and so we have desire i have desire you have desire fine uh we're not gunning for nirvana in this lifetime fine so we can admit that and say yes i'm not gunning <laughs> Uh, for complete and perfect awakening in this lifetime. Therefore, uh, I'm willing to continue uh, clinging and craving or desiring and disliking and trying to shape my outer life in accord with my vision of what's best. Fine. And that entails various, you know, dukkha, including sukha, which may be happiness and pleasure and joy and love. And those things that help develop the seven chakras <laughs> very well and do service to other too. So I'm not saying, you know, be a monk, but I think to know how we get stuck, uh, even if we're not taking the, um, the highest grade medicine, we're taking a mid-grade medicine and we'll be purified in mind thereby accordingly to the extent that we make good use of it rather than the high-grade medicine that you know <clears throat> uh, would allow us to uh, emerge radiant and spotless uh, and completely finished with all evolution so fine so upadana on the page uh, upadana from wikipedia which is where I'm going to uh, walk a bit to find the crossroads and then take a, a vector, Victor, and um, fork out um, from there. Uh, talking about Gautama, what, what distinguishes Gautama from the Hindus? <clears throat> and um, I, we're on our way to meeting Adi Shankara. Adi Shankara who was um, the most important proponent of Advaita Vedanta in India, I don't know, 8th century, 7th, 9th century, over a thousand years ago, who was a very important fellow. And, um, you know, people talk about Advaita Vedanta and they talk about Ramana Maharshi, critical 20th century teacher, probably finished with the path too. He goes back to Adi Shankara. Adi Shankara who's not Adida, <laughs> who's a whole lot bigger than Adida and didn't fuck up at the end. In Adi Shankara, the, the key formulator of Advaita Vedanta, um, refuted Buddhists and was familiar with Nagarjuna Madhyamaka, meaning the teacher Nagarjuna, who was a logician, great Buddhist scholar and practitioner, <clears throat> who formulated Madhyamaka or Middle Way, which is where we get this idea of sunya, sunyata, <clears throat> and and the core Mahayana philosophy of Buddhism was refuted, you know, came out of Nagarjuna, 
And that's where you get Tibetan Buddhism and Mahamudra. I talked about that. <coughs> and Adi Shankara died at 32 or 34. Very unusual for a great yogi master, and he was a scholar, scholar, sage, practitioner, to die so young. Very rare. Right after his Saturn return, he died. And there's a death mask of his at a temple, I think, in um, in the south of India. Um, and he was active... Uh, we're not going to get to him yet, but we're on our way to meeting him. He was active in Kerala, and that's I thought, oh, that's why Kerala is so important, because Adi Shankara walked there. And Adi Shankara, you know, who the hell is he, right? You don't know, maybe. Um, this is the, you know... The, one of the key formulators of Advaita Vedanta long, long before Ramana Maharshi, and um, gives the Hindu perspective refuting Buddhism, while Buddha's Gautama gives the Buddhist or his perspective on what distinguishes uh, this teaching from Hinduism, uh, you know, 2,500 years ago, long before Adi Shankara, um, and their view of the goal. And it very much is associated with self, no self. However, <laughs> as we'll see when we finally get to Adi Shankara in a few weeks, <clears throat> um, it's really dubious <laughs> about whether there really is an essential difference between the Buddhist understanding of anatta and the Hindu understanding of, of the union of Brahman and Jiva, or uh, Atman, you know, the Hindu understanding of Atman <clears throat> or the union of Atman and Paramatman, right, which is the end of the path, if that's really any different than Buddhism, I'd say, actually, no. Sorry. <laughs> They're both free from the octave. Freedom from the octave is um, an integrative way of understanding the Buddhist approach, which uh, sees nirvana as, uh, you know, a full realization of anatta, no self, or insubstantiality, complete perfect awakening, and the Hinduism Advaita Vedanta position, <clears throat> where union with Brahman, you know, not Brahma the god, but Brahman the ultimate, which is um, Satchitananda, or the union of Atman and Paramatman, Jivatman becomes one with Brahman, that's the Supreme Self, so-called, with capital letters. Is that different than Nirvana? I'd say no, actually. <laughs> They're both free of the octave. But <clears throat> uh, one of the core way, one of the core mm, psycho-spiritual processes by which we get stuck, stay stuck, is Upadana, is clinging, uh, coming out of craving. <laughs> so let's look into the page from Wikipedia <clears throat> making our way to a deeper understanding of um, what Gautama taught and how he distinguished himself. And that's ultimately going to be what's called the uh, Chula Sihananda Sutta. Chula Sihananda means the shorter discourse on the lion's roar. <laughs> <clears throat> These Pali Sutras are named nicely. And that's the third link, Access to Insight, Majima Nikaya 11 a little bit longer than the last sutta, Chula Sihananda, the shorter discourse on the lion's roar, translated by some heavy hitters, Yanamoli, Yanamoli Tara, and Bhikkhu Bodhi, uh, because it's a critical sutta, actually. So, let, let's start with Upadana from uh, old Wikipedia. Upadana, from the top, is a Vedic, Sanskrit, and Pali word, right? So it comes, it's, um, there, there's, spoken in both those languages, which are not too different. That means fuel, material cause, substrate that is the source and means for keeping an active process energized. <clears throat> so from the Vedas, Upadana pertains to the fuel or the sustenance for burning, the substrate of burning. <clears throat> and it it's very much uh, the fuel for samkara. Haha, uh, the fuel clinging uh, fuels uh, compositing <laughs> or fermenting, right? The, the, something's fermenting based on something, right? Why is it fermenting? Why is, why is the mind compounding or conceiving? Well, there's a base to it. <clears throat> it's, very, it's called upadana, <laughs> and that's called clinging in Buddhism. It's also an important Buddhist concept referring to attachment, clinging, grasping, 
there's actually a difference in Buddhism. Those three words uh, can be translated by several Pali terms. Attachment, clinging, grasping. It's considered to be the result of tana, right? Craving. So tana or craving leads to upadana or clinging. And it's part of the dukkha or suffering or pain, also called stress, doctrine in Buddhism. Okay. So <clears throat> it's it's the means by which uh, an active process continues, the substrate basis of suffering, <laughs> of ahamkara, of reincarnation, of um, existence in the octave, of seven chakra uh, imperfection, not yet seven chakra perfection. So... Uh, the fuel, the, the the metaphysical fuel for rebirth is pretty much tana and upadana, craving that leads us, craving to which we, cl- to craving that, to which we reply with, with clinging. So it doesn't have to be crave, you know, uh, feeling I want, I'm hungry doesn't necessarily lead one to do anything other than note it. One can simply note it and let it die. If you want to know what it is, it's arising. The hunger arises. We can let it die if we wish to. It's painful. (laughs) It's really painful. But um, the arising of a hungering when met with um, the normal <laughs> response, I'm going to do something like, I don't like it, I like it, I want it, I hate it, uh, is how craving tana goes to clinging upadana. But particularly, <clears throat> that that process, when, when, it, when we go to clinging and attachment, <clears throat> particularly, um, we're making a self. The self is based on that. The sense of self is based on that. The illusory sense of self is of uh, upadana skanda, is of clinging to these five uh, ahamkara making. Ahamkara, meaning aham karam, aham or self, karm, karma making. Self making is done by. Um, meeting the natural hunger or longing or dissatisfaction with various forms of attachment and fashioning uh, a selfhood thereby. But what it also means is that over time, with less clinging or, you know, grasping aversion ignorance, as the roots of desire and hate go down, the sense of self keeps changing. The sense of self is less burning. The sense of self expands and becomes more spacious, and then uh, eventually it disappears <laughs> when one is an arhan at the end of the path, and that's the eighth fetter, conceit gone. <clears throat> now, in the section on Buddhism, upadana is the Sanskrit and Pali same word for clinging, attachment, grasping. Right, particularly clinging and attachment, I'd say, whereby grasping, aversion, ignorance comes later, or are the forms of attachment or clinging. Clinging how? I would say clinging by the three poisons. Clinging and attachment by grasping, desiring, and averring or hating to get rid of, and ignorant, basic ignorance, foggy, foggy, um, dull mind, stuck mind, somehow. So I would call it clinging and attachment, but not grasping where I reserve the term grasping for one of the three poisons. Upadana and Tana, these are the two big the two big killers, are seen as the two primary causes of suffering. Bing 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 bing, right? That's why we're here on this page. So on Dukkha, part three, here we are, the two roots, the two molar roots of Dukkha are Upadana Tana. And um <clears throat> You know, all is not lost. Um, well, fear not, fear not. The cessation of clinging leads to nirvana. Yeah, that's true. Uh, now, when we get to the section types of clinging, it's interesting, you know, 
months, years ago, I bookmarked this page on uh, Upadana and uh, the other page, Wikipedia on Tana, thinking I would get into Patichatsamapada, meaning the 12 dependent origination nidanas or links that lead to rebirth, that are associated with uh, clinging and craving, that are associated, you know, clinging, craving, one of them. But each of those are these, one of these 12 links. So, particularly Tana goes to clinging, or Tana goes to Upadana, craving goes to clinging, goes to grasping aversion ignorance, goes to <laughs> increasing uh, suffering or stress <clears throat> and rebirth. Um, and uh, interesting, I found my way here by this talk on Dukkha, the series on Dukkha. Uh, but critical to understanding Dukkha is the molar roots, the deep molar roots of uh, Dukkha being Tana and Upadana. Just to know it. <laughs> if this is true, it's good. It's certainly crucial to know whether you're uh, gunning for Nirvana or not. So, types of clinging, and this is the very, very interesting material. Uh, in the Sutta Pitaka Gautama states there are four types of clinging. Okay, Sense pleasure clinging, wrong view clinging, rites and rituals clinging, self-doctrine clinging. And so sense pleasure is sense pleasure is kama, uh, you know, like kama loka, meaning desire loka, kama loka, desire loka, desire realm or world, and so desire hunger is called kamu kamupadana, uh, kamupadana, kam kamupadana, the first in the first word linked with upadana, kamupadana, wrong view, right? We did a whole long series in. Um, from puredharma.net on uh, michaditi, wrong view, and samaditi, right view. So all of this teaching, Mr. Scott's teaching, teaching Mr. Scott and Dr. Doolittle together, teaching um, samaditi. <laughs> this is the purpose of Mr. Scott's incarnation, is to provide a, an improvement of samaditi for all who care. And uh, then he shall disappear. <clears throat> and so... Uh, samaditi is uh, right view. Michaditi is wrong view. Wrong view clinging is ditu padana. Ditu, like micha, diti, diti. So, <laughs> view is diti. Sounds silly, right? So, ditu padana means view clinging. But particularly, it's wrong view. You know, there's no problem with right view if you don't make a big deal of it. But wrong view, like materialism, <laughs> like atheism, uh, like, you know, the charvakas, the heresy of materialism, right, is the heart of today's Michaditi. The New World Order Michaditi is materialism. Um, and even the view, mm, uh, <clears throat> the whole uh, do what thou wilt is the whole of the law for any of the occultists still on board here, which I don't think there are too many. Uh, no, <laughs> do what thou wilt is the first law, not the whole of the law, and it's a distortion. It's called the distortion of the law of free will. And it's uh, it's the basis of illusion and dukkha, <laughs> suffering. It's a, the logoic or cosmological basis of reincarnation or an octave being a law of free will. The action of free will upon love gave rise to light, said Ra. You know? <laughs> so many people can't get that. But if you get it, <clears throat> you're going to be so... You get all these things, whoever you are, listening in. You'll find that uh, most people are very stuck in Michaditi, meaning wrong view. Their views are very unformed. They're very um, crude, crudely formed. And the, the it's critical. Samaditi is critical. The first of the Eightfold Noble Path uh, is right view. <clears throat> the, the the eight samas, the eight rites. The critical first one is is samaditi, right view, not wrong view. And um, you know, we have many. They've been very busy because uh, now it's springtime, so the communities are just a little jockeying for power in the bird community in my bamboo tree. <clears throat> so. They also like, they don't, they're, they're kind of proud. <laughs> they like, they like getting in, getting their words in. So, uh, 
critical is uh, right view. Critical. And everything that I do that I, I mean, to me, it's, I want to learn right view. I mean, spiritual study is the, is, is the work of um, Samaditi or right view. So one of the types of clinging which is critical to knock out is uh, wrong view clinging. So it's not just wrong view, it's clinging to wrong view, you know? It's uh, making a big deal out of wrong view. If you know you don't know, and you're willing to keep learning, and you take it lightly, that's not so bad. But lots of people with lots of wrong views um, are quite convinced that that view is correct. And it isn't. There is correct and incorrect view, you know. So, <clears throat> the third is rites and rituals clinging, which is uh, shila, right? Shila is, um, includes virtue. Is uh, The pancha shila, five shila. Shilabhatu, shilabhat upadana, shilabhatu padana, shilabhatu padana, meaning uh, upadana of shilabhat or shilabhatu, rites and rituals, making a big deal. If I simply do uh, 10,000 prostrations, I'll be completely awakened. Or nobody gets to Godhead uh, without doing fire puja. <laughs> or you've got to dance in this way, not the other way. <clears throat> because the other school is heretics and we have the only uh, way of whirling, whirling dervishes. Self-doctrine, the last one, is critical. And that's atta, atavud, uh, atavud, uh, atavad, atavad dupana, dupadana. Sounds hard. Atta meaning self. So anatta is no self. Atava, atavad dupadana, dupadana. At, or you could say atavad upadana. Okay, Atavad Upadana, Silabhatupadana, Ditupadana, Kamupadana. Uh, more important than my poor translation or my poor uh, <laughs> pronunciation is understanding that these are bases of our suffering. These are four ways that basic hungering and thirsting, a basic sense that there's something wrong here, that's Tana, is met with clinging. We meet the basic sense that we have again and again and again that there's something wrong here. There's something I need. There's something missing. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. There, there, is, a, there is a deficiency. This essential deep mind perception belief in deficiency leads to, is the nature of Tana, which can be called hunger and thirst or craving. Hunger and thirst, Tana, I, I learned originally was thirst, but hunger, you know, <laughs> is eating food to fill a deficiency. Thirst is taking liquid to take to fill a deficiency. These are um, basic, sen this comes out of the basic craving uh, associated with belief in a deficiency. And that leads to all sorts of clinging attachment. And that uh, is of four types. Physically, sensually, you know, I, I need my drink or I need my sex or I need my sleep or I need something. Um, I need three coats, I can't wear one. <laughs> uh, clinging mentally to wrong view. Clinging behaviorally, religious behaviorally, religiously behavioral or clinging to activity, spiritual activity, that we think will help when it isn't the heart of the problem. It doesn't address the heart of the problem. The heart of the problem is not behavioral. It's uh, mental causal, causal mental, the deep roots of tendency. And then, and, and so, you know, Gautama's talking to monks and people who are seeking to be free. So we are at our own pace. And the fourth is this natural clinging to the sense of self, and that's upadana skanda, or upadana skanda clinging aggregates give rise to the wrong view of, of selfhood. And following that, it goes on, the Buddha once stated that while other sects or other groups might provide an appropriate analysis of the first three types of clinging, he alone fully elucidated clinging to the self and its resultant suffering, and that then takes us straight into Chula Shihananda Sutta and how it is that Gautama 
and Buddhism <clears throat> is distinguished from other traditions. Uh, and I'm going to, I think I want to get into it today and see if I can run through in 15 minutes. Next time we'll do a further, a deeper understanding because we can only look into Chula Siyananda Sutta now briefly. And then next time go into it further and come back to this page on Upadana to look at other views of, of the four bases of Upadana or four types of clinging uh, because that's uh, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot said on this page about that, and I think it's done very well. This is actually a very well prepared page, uh, I be I believe. But let's get back to um, ancient India. Uh, the second link, Majjhima Nikaya 11, Chula Siyananda Sutta, shorter discourse on the lion's roar, from the great translators Nyana Moli Tera and Bhikkhu Bodhi. This is a sutta uh, in 17 parts, 17 with a bunch of notes on the bottom. I'll run through it first and then um, we can do more commentary a little bit today, but mainly tomorrow, next time, mainly next time. Chula Sihananda Sutta, translated Nyanamoli Tera and Bhikkhu Bodhi, number one. Thus have I heard. On one occasion, the Blessed One was living at Savati in Jetta's Grove, Anatta Pindika's Park, Jetawana Grove. There he addressed the bhikkhus thus, the monks, bhikkhus, venerable sir, they replied. The Blessed One said this, bhikkhus, only here is there a recluse, only here a second recluse, meaning a monk or yogi, a left-home person, only here a third recluse, only here a fourth recluse. The doctrines of others are devoid of recluses. That is how you should rightly roar your lion's roar. <laughs> what? So we'll explain. Uh, meaning there are many sects with many recluses with many doctrines. But there's something that sets you or us apart from them. And he will expound it. Number three, paragraph three. It is possible because that wanderers of other sects might ask, but on the strength of what argument or with the support of what authority do the venerable ones, meaning Buddhist monks who are speaking, say thus? Wanderers of other sects who ask thus may be answered in this way. So Gautama is helping the monks to learn how to speak, you know, truly Buddhist doctrine. Friends, four things have been declared to us by the Blessed One who knows and sees, accomplished and fully enlightened, on seeing these in ourselves, we thus say. Only here is there a recluse, only here a second recluse, only here a third recluse, only here a fourth recluse. The doctrines of others are devoid of recluses. <laughs> what? So again, he's telling them to say what he's saying to them, that uh, we have different groups with different recluses uh, and what distinguishes ours from theirs. Uh, what are the four? Meaning the four what? Recluses? Or the four views? What are the four? We have confidence in the teacher. We have confidence in the Dhamma. We have fulfilled the precepts, meaning the rules. And our companions in the Dhamma are dear and agreeable to us whether they are lay folk or those gone forth, meaning lay monk, lay Buddhists who've taken a few vows, or full bhikkhus or monks and nuns. These are the four things declared to us by the Blessed One who knows and sees, accomplished and fully enlightened, on seeing which in ourselves we say as we do. So that seems to be pretty repetitive there. Uh, here is a first, a second, a third, fourth recluse. The doctrines of others are devoid of recluses, meaning that other sects' teachings don't have, uh, don't, don't say what we say. Don't have monks and nuns like us. We're different. Uh, okay, you have confidence in Tri Ratna, the three jewels, Buddha Dhamma Sangha, teacher, Dhamma, and then the community. Fine. Um, 
going on, we're going to see what what is these um, what are these what what's special about the recluses and the teaching of the Buddha Sangha. Number four, it is possible because that wanderers of other sects might say thus, friends, we too have confidence in the teacher that is in our teacher. We too have confidence in the Dhamma that is in our Dhamma. We too have fulfilled the precepts that is our precepts. Our companions in the Dhamma are dear and agreeable to us too, whether they are lay folk or those gone forth. What's the distinction here, friends? What's the variance? What's the difference between you and us? And that now we're approaching the heart of the matter here. Five, wanderers of other sects, Gautama's going on, wanderers of other sects who ask thus may be answered in this way. How then, friends, is the goal one or many? Meaning, what's the goal? One or many? What is the goal? Answering rightly, the wanderers of other sects would answer thus, Friends, the goal is one, not many. But friends, is that goal for one affected by lust or free from lust? And now we're getting into an analysis of how each sect looks at their goals. And again, that gives us, we're approaching an understanding of what sets Buddhism apart. Answering rightly, wanderers of other sects would answer thus, Friends, the goal is one, not many. But friends, and this is, the, this is Gautama presenting how a monk could be dialoguing with those from other sects about the doctrines that they hold dear and what distinguishes the Buddhist from the others. <clears throat> and then, but friends, is that goal? So this is uh, the Buddhist monk theoretically questioning the practitioner of another sect. First he asks about the goal. Is it one or many? The guy, the, uh, you know, the wanderer of the other sect would say, it's one, not many. The Buddhist would go back and say, well, okay, well, friends, but friends, is that goal for one affected by lust or free from lust? Uh, answering rightly, wanderers of other sects would answer thus, friends, that goal is one is for one free from lust, not for one affected by lust. And so we're now we're going through the types of clinging. This is the first, this is kama, kam upadana. <laughs> this is that exact statement in <clears throat> in the page on Wikipedia saying where the Buddha acknowledged in this sutta, Chula Sihananda, that yeah, other sects have the same understanding uh, of the goal. They Their teachings are in accord or not much different than Gautama's teaching on the need to free from sense pleasure, wrong view, rites and rituals. But it's the fourth form of clinging that is the distinction. Here we're seeing how the first three are not different. So answering rightly, yeah, <clears throat> that goal is for one free from lust, uh, one free from hate, right? So you've got, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> uh, it's one goal, not many. It's for those free of kama and uh, moha, not moha, but uh, hate, free from lust, free from hate. Uh, how about is the goal for one affected by delusion or free from delusion? That's, you know, ignorance. Uh, no, of course, the goal is for one that is free from free from ignorance or free from delusion. So, free from craving. Free from, <clears throat> yes, the other sects will agree. The goal is one, not many. The goal is for those who can free themselves from desiring free themselves from hate, free themselves from ignorance, right, the three poisons, or delusion, free themselves from craving. Is the goal for one affected by craving or free from craving? Of course, they'll say the goal is for one free from craving. Okay. Free from clinging? Yes, also free from clinging, right? So we've got Tana and Upadana. <clears throat> so the goal that other sects to talk about, yes, is also associated with freedom from craving and clinging. Okay. What about vision? Yes, that goal is for one with vision, not for one without vision, okay? So they have vision, or they have a vision of uh, freedom, which is beyond unity, you know. <laughs> the New Age silly folks, the little children who talk about oneness, don't understand that that's not the end of the line. It's really the vision of release, not just the vision of unity beyond duality. <clears throat> because, the, because the experience of unity is also conceptual. There's a experience. You, the experience itself may not be conceptual, but the formulation is. 
<clears throat> and so one needs to see the emptiness of conceiving, the emptiness of samskara, the emptiness of ahamkara, that the fact that all of those are uh, empty, though, you know, any notion of self, any notion of self as one or self as all is a notion. Any conceiving must be seen as empty and freed from belief in such a notion. And the vision is not simply a vision of unity. It's really the vision of release, uh, total release. And that's a little, a little different matter. What about the goal for one who favors or opposes, or one who does not favor and oppose? Friends, that goal is for one who does not favor and oppose. <clears throat> um, for one who does not delight and enjoy proliferation. <laughs> One who does not delight in delight in and enjoy proliferation, therefore, is one who basically is not attached to thinking. It's proliferation of thinking, okay? It's uh, uh, the monkey mind that loves jumping from thought and feeling from one to another. <laughs> so, I mean, what what <laughs> what spiritual philosophy can talk about? Freedom from delighting in proliferation. Freedom from delighting in proliferation. Freedom from favoring and opposing. Mm -hmm. Little bit serious here, huh? <clears throat> so these are these these are manifestations of freedom from wrong view. Uh, freedom from wrong view is ultimately freedom from attachment to view. Freedom from the belief that any view is an absolute reality. All view is anicanata dukkha. All view is samskara, or compounded and fashioned and empty of substantial, essential reality. Every view is relative, and therefore every view doesn't really hold reality. It holds just an aspect of reality. And so people who favor and oppose or fight, argue, don't realize that, that words are empty too, and they don't really they're hopelessly inadequate to explain reality. Just like Ra said, understanding is not of your density. So, knowing that understanding is not of our density, and that samskara is sunya too, any conceiving is um, relative, is um, of limited truth and limited value, then one is more free of favoring and opposing. And one does not delight in proliferation. <clears throat> going on, six. Because <clears throat> there are these two views. So now we're going further into freedom from wrong view, dit upadana. Because there are these two views, the view of being and the view of non-being, any recluses or brahmins who rely on the view of being, adopt the view of, be of being, accept the view of being, are opposed to the view of non-being. <clears throat> any recluses or Brahmins who rely on the view of non-being adopt the view of non-being, accept the view of non-being, and then are opposed to the view of being. So what view you accept, you favor, and the opposite, you oppose. So there's the view of being the view of non-being. And so this is all an aspect of becoming free from wrong view, which includes attachment to any view, which is um, a realization that a view is not ultimate. <clears throat> view is uh, akin to Gautama saying that his teaching is a raft on the path to, on, on the ocean of samsara, birth and death, on the way to the further shore, nirvana, which is really freedom from the octave, uh, and freedom from all dukkha and um, all reincarnative um, process or need. Views are simply tools for that journey <clears throat> and not ultimates in themselves. And Gautama is saying, if whatever view you adopt, there basically are going to be two views, being and non-being. I think he means two views of the goal. Two views of the goal. And we can see this in a misunderstanding of Buddhism and I would say a misunderstanding of uh, Hinduism. The misunderstanding of Buddhism is the view that the goal is non-being. Nirvana is the extinguishing extinction of me. I'll be destroyed. Wow, great. 
the goal there is seen as a kind of extinguishing of 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 experience or or of awareness or of ontological existence the nature of this being will be annihilated hey hey that's freedom right that's some sense that non-being the view of non-being as the goal then there's what i'd say the mistaken understanding of hinduism is that um i will that that uh, moksha mukti liberation freedom is some kind of eternal blissful selfhood you know endless unify unity consciousness endless bliss unified with brahman <clears throat> in some kind of satchitananda beaming state um some eternity that that uh, ultimate liberation is a state of being is a permanent state of being which i think is not quite the case you know at this point at at the you know out of the octave um we we can say nothing <laughs> we can't say nothing <clears throat> we can say intelligent infinity we can say infinite all right infinite will infinite love infinite light infinite awareness infinite bliss okay fine infinite infinitude all right well the goal is the the achievement of the goal the view my view of the nature of the goal is uh infinitude return to infinitude okay fine that's not quite being or be, or non-being it's not the supposition that the goal is some eternal changeless state nor some kind of ultimate annihilation neither a, a nothing nor a something and i think that's what gotama means about these two views are two views of the goal and people who are in one camp mistaken like the hindu think that the buddhists are wrong and people who are in one camp mistaken like mistaken buddhists think that the hindus are wrong well it's beyond both of them <laughs> and the real masters know it okay the real hindu guys the real buddhist guys who finished they know that all these views are um inadequate <laughs> views are inadequate they're just more yak 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 it's just more mental chatter there it's very important to get right view but right view is dropped at the end so gotama doesn't have any view <laughs> freedom from view so he's basically saying that <clears throat> there are these two views and some people adopt the view that the goal is permanent is a is a permanent state of being supreme being permanent state while other people have the view that the goal is um an utter annihilatory extinction of all mind experience of all of all awareness or potential or being or something and gotama saying it's neither that's not our teaching number 7 any recluses or brahmans who do not understand as they actually are meaning doesn't understand these things as they actually are they don't understand as they actually are the origin disappearance gratification danger and escape in the case of these two views are affected by lust affected by hate affected by delusion the three poisons affected by craving affected by clinging right tana upadana without vision given to favoring and opposing they delight and enjoy proliferation <clears throat> not nuclear proliferation but uh, samskaric proliferation the proliferation of samskaras the thinking 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 who think they're so advanced <laughs> the thinking thinking endless thinking they think they're so advanced they're advanced over animals i grant ye that <laughs> they're not gra- advanced to their future they're adv- they're primitive to atman but they think they're so advanced because they keep looking at animals <laughs> they keep comparing themselves to the lesser to the animal so they think that they're grand in their proliferation that's funny So uh Gotama is saying the people who get the recluses the brahmins or the other schools folks who are attached to views which are <laughs> michaditi or wrong view anybody who's attached to wrong view has some may or or too common type views of the goal or the goal is an eternal being the goal is annihilatory uh, extinction neither is true according to gotama they're both views 
And people who are attached to those views don't realize the origin, the disappearance, the gratification, the danger, the escape of the two views. Meaning these two wrong views of the goal. Because it's pretty deep stuff, right? <laughs> who the hell could read this? I mean, I couldn't get into this ten years ago. Let alone when I was in temples, uh, you know, in the 80s. So, uh, it takes a long time. <laughs> this is pretty heavy stuff, Abhidhamma. And so... The, the point is that views arise and pass away. Views are empty and anatta too. They're anicca, anatta, and dukkha, <laughs> and sunya. And so the, the, the other schools, like the mistaken Buddhists today, and the mistaken Hindus of any age, who have some sense that the goal is permanent being or annihilatory uh, void, uh, don't understand the origin of the arising and passing away, the gratification, the temporary pleasure, and the danger, uh, and then a, a freedom from these views. Those people then uh, get stuck in the three poisons, desire, you know, lust, hate, delusion. They have clunging, craving. They are attached, they are clinging to views, to wrong views. And they end up keep re reincarnating. So they're not free from birth, aging, death, from sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, despair. They're not free from suffering or dukkha, I say. And so that's the problem with wrong view or clinging to wrong view. Going on, number eight. Uh, comparing that, those other recluses to the Buddhist monks who do understand the problem with view and move out of wrong view and get out of um, clinging to view in eight are described as recluses or brahmins, which would be Buddhist monks who are well-trained. They, uh, they do understand the origin, disappearance, gratification, danger, and escape in the case of these two views. And meaning they know that they're temporary. They know that there's both some, some satisfaction and uh, a danger. <laughs> with these, with clinging to these views, they also know how to get free of them, because they know that um, samskara is sunya, <laughs> samsara is anicca. It passes. Any kind of view is a samskara, fashioning, fermentation, conceiving. It comes and it goes, and um, reality is, what is is view, is unreal to the extent that it's impermanent. And Adi Shankara explained that a bit, and that's a very that's one of the reasons I think I want to get to him later. The understanding that what is impermanent is called unreal. And that's where the Hindus are coming from when they say, it is the unreal, it is not real. They just mean that it's impermanent. Because it's impermanent, it's time-bound, it's illusory, in a sense, compared to what's not impermanent, what's not changing. That's the real, in that view. So anyway, the people who actually know the problem with views don't fall into wrong view, and then they also don't go to fighting, favoring and opposing, nor do they delight in and enjoy proliferation. They're, and that's in general the case. People who, um, I mean, <laughs> who, anybody who knows samadhi or equanimity, pekka, uh, as better than mental proliferation, doesn't make a big deal out of mental proliferation. But you can see all sorts of uh, Western Tibetan students who love proliferating, meaning they love thinking and thinking and thinking. They're really attached to views, it seems to me. Uh, and then fight about it. <laughs> okay. Well, they're not, they're not coming out of the forest tradition. Number nine. Because there are these four kinds of clinging, right? Like we saw on the Wikipedia page. What for? Clinging to sensual pleasures, clinging to views clinging to rules and observances, clinging to a doctrine of self. And so, a doctrine of self is a type of wrong view. Uh, clinging to views itself is a problem. Even clinging to right view could be a, would be a problem, actually. Uh, and so, he goes on, you know, I think that maybe I can't run through this hole today, and I better not so, this basically uh, gives us the first half then today, 
of Chula Shiananda Sutta, Shorter Discourse on the Lion's Roar. And <clears throat> we basically see Gautama explaining how his Buddha-Dhamma teaching is different than others, other sects, other groups, but what's also in common. So first we describe what's in common, and then we say what's different or distinct. So the value of being free from harmful tendencies is held in common. The moral component of the teaching is similar or identical. So in Buddhism you have Panchashila, Five Sila, or the whole monastic code, Patimokkha, the, the Buddhist ethics. And, and then in Hinduism you have Yama Niyama, what to do and what not to do. Um, these are both these are quite comparable moral codes. And, uh, you know, Moisha gave us the Ten Commandments, or whoever. Uh, uh, Confederation Yahweh gave him, and he gave us. Uh, meanwhile, there's distortion there. So, uh, moral codes, moral ethics, ethical codes are similar between Buddhism and other groups. You know, and the two main groups that he's talking about are Hindus and Jains. And so their ethics are about the same. Their understanding of um, the nature of the path is similar. But their understanding of the goal is different. And their views um, or view doctrines are different. And that's very, very important. And so while we can say there are these, you know, as the Wikipedia page and here number nine says, these four types of clinging or how we get attached or stuck, uh, while three of the four are not much different than other groups or other religions or other traditions, uh, the particular view of selfhood or identity is quite different. And yet, um, the nature of the attainment, I would say, is not different. The nature of liberation, you know, nirvana and moksha, Hindu moksha and Buddhist nirvana, I'd say, is both, they're, they're different perspectives on the freedom from the octave. Yet the views of self are very different uh, on the way, at, you know, the, the path support views, the views of self associated with our path to the goal are different. And Buddhists then get attached to some conceived notion of no-self, and Hindus get attached, or people, yoga practitioners, Advaita folks, get attached to some kind of conceived notion of a permanent uh, supreme self. Both of them are wrong views. <laughs> Both of them are not helpful if uh, if one makes a big deal out of it and holds too tightly. Uh, next time, we'll start, I guess, at number 10. And uh, Gautama's rundown. This is a pretty heavy sutta here. A pretty uh, serious analysis of um, the range of doctrines in Buddhism compared to other groups, the, the categories of doctrine the categories of practice or doctrine and um, supports for the path, how they differ between Buddhism and other other groups. And um, we will, I guess, finish this page through, uh, on the sutta next time, go back to the page on Upadana and get a further, take a further pass at an understanding of these four types of clinging. Um and then see if we need to go into tanha, craving, to get to a sense of um, a deeper level. We're tracing ourselves, you know, <laughs> tracing the roots of dukkha, going to the core, the pith core of dukkha, a causal, causal pith of dukkha, the causal basis of dukkha, being certainly, you know, <laughs> wrong view or desire, or incarnation, but how um, certain um, core beliefs are associated with uh, deep 
core tendencies, preferences, values, and how addressing, shedding, you know, shedding some light, shining a light on core beliefs, like the sense of self, like, you know, the view of self, core beliefs about uh, what this, what I must have and cannot have, core the, the, the core preferences of that deep sense of identity, that deep conceived view of identity, uh, how that creates a lot of trouble, how we create a lot of trouble for ourselves by that, by distorted views of self and um, distorted uh, forms of clinging that come out of that. So, anyway, it's pretty serious here, and um, I hope you could benefit from hearing it, and I'll be listening a few times over myself. So, uh, thank you for being here. I hope you're well. See you next time, and good night.